0: podcast. Nick Hales with the of the Redskins Skin and Joshua Johnson. I'm here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build foundation. This is the Dynasty Bolt, presented by the Dynasty Flip
1: Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Johnson. Uh, with me, as always, is Nick Hale to the Redskins. Well, Nick, what's up, buddy? Oh, not much, Josh. Uh, good time
2: of year, isn't it, with the rookie drafts kind of winding down? We can finally kind of take a look at our Dynasty teams and really get a sense of how they're going to perform this, this season, at least the way we're seeing things now.
1: How are you doing today? It is always such an optimistic time, yes, To to look at your – look at your lead team with uh, you know drafts done and have this nice sense of confidence and whatnot. So um, we're, we're going to talk quarterbacks and tight ends today, and we have all that other normal stuff that we do to keep you keep you folks all warm and fuzzy inside, too. So sorry for the horrible metaphor. But we have a senior right here from DFW, Brian Hawks, joining us to talk quarterbacks on the line. So let's patch Brian through here. Brian, are you there? I'm here, guys. How's it going? Good. Good. Um, I just wanted to run one thing by you guys before we get to the uh, to get to the uh, gunslingers there. Um, recently, as of course stuff happens like the moment after we get done with the podcast every weekend. Uh, sometimes I have to wait a week to talk about it. But of course, Jalen Ramsey has uh, has somewhat of a minor. Of course, here comes that minor word again. But a minor meniscus tear. Now, that's not obviously good news uh, for the Jaguars organization, but my, you know, my line of thinking right now with this whole situation is, you know, we've been back and forth. Is he a safety? Is he a cornerback? I think this could be great news for his IDP status because, you know, what? No matter how minor the tear is, or not he's more than likely going to lose, you know, a little bit off of that 40 time. He's going to lose somewhat of a step. So maybe when he comes back, he's just going to be a safety. And the whole IDT world can rejoice, right, Nick?
2: I, I don't know. I could be wrong, but I just think his skill set, you know, even if he does lose, lose half, half a step, I think his skill set tra- translates better to the cornerback position than it does safety. Um Plus, he's so young that you would think that once it's recovered, he's going to be
1: 100% again. That would be my guess, anyway. Well, as somebody who
3: drafted him, maybe I'm just hopeful. Brian, any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I guess I can see that angle in the short term. Um, but I, I kind of agree with Nick. I think his skill set and his talent, uh, ultimately, they're going to they're gonna maximize that. So I think he, he'll probably end up playing some corner.
1: Yeah, hopefully – maybe in in the slots and the safety role, too. So, well, thanks for shooting my idea down, guys. But uh, I'll, I'll get over it. Like I said, maybe I wouldn't be thinking that if I hadn't drafted him. But, uh, hey, that's where we're at. So um, uh, why don't we start with uh, top, uh, the top The – we'll go with the, the number five and kind of work our way down here. But why don't, Brian, why don't you get us started? Is there anybody, any QB you didn't have in your top five that you wanted to mention?
3: Um, you know, not, not particularly. I think that this group of quarterbacks is somewhat deep. Um, but I tried with, with my top five guys, I tried to focus on guys that I thought had high upside. Um, so they could, we could count on them for fantasy production, the ones that fall outside of the top five. Um, so this will kind of segue into who my top five are. I look at as more of game managers. So, uh, like Cody Kessler and, um, Kevin Hogan, guys like that. So, i'm gonna I'm gonna call those guys potentially not fantasy relevant guys for now um so i don't I don't know that I have anyone that I would focus on. We call that Alex Smith here at the podcast
1: <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: uh, Nick Nick any thoughts there? anybody you wanted to talk about you couldn't get into your top five.
2: Um, uh, maybe uh, Brian brought up uh, Cody Kessler. He, he's not a guy that I'm really high on, but his opportunity there in Cleveland, really only Robert Griffin in front of him, uh, he could have a, sh- a short path to playing time. And you know, you can't produce if you can't get on the field. So at least he has a chance to see the field early. Uh,
1: yeah, you know, and I've I've been very vocal. I thought Cody Kessler was the worst pick of this entire NFL draft. And now I own him in two weeks. I can't ex- exactly explain why, except for like what Nick said, opportunity. I mean, it's just going to be there. And when Hugh Jackson was asked about that pick later on, he just said, trust me, he's, I have a plan. So I, I guess, you know, Hugh Jackson's been a successful coach wherever he's gone. And obviously Cleveland is a completely different animal, uh, but uh, the opportunity uh, certainly is going to be there. Um I'm gonna go out on the limb and say neither one of you guys or myself has Christian Hackenberg in your top five and maybe I'm wrong. Uh but uh certainly a name that we should mention. I I can't rank this guy higher than eight. Even if the opportunity does present itself there for him, I just just have a lot of uh, inhibitions about how it's going to happen. But obviously, you know, post draft, landing spot, you know, I I mean I traded back into drafts to get Cody Kessler in the seventh round just because I thought it was uh, pertinent just for the opportunity. And it's weird what a uh, 16-team league will will do to you, even if it's not a two-quarterback league. I can't even imagine being in a 16-team two-quarterback league. Uh, One quarterback is is enough there. All three of us are in DSW 16.
3: Um, Brian, why don't you get us started with your number five? Um, So working from five to one, uh, my number five guy, I kind of swung for the fence with this guy. It's, it's Brandon Dowdy, uh, Miami Dolphins. Um, he's got video game stats. Uh, uh, so it's hard to, to ignore that. And this is going to sound lame, but I actually saw a skills competition in the off season where he out threw, uh, Cardale Jones in terms of arm strength. Um, but, When when you look at the production that he put up, it's it's tough to ignore it. He played in a unique system, a lot of spread, uh, quick passes um, that led to some inflated stats. I mean, his past two seasons, he's close to 5,000 passing yards each season, uh, close to 50 touchdown passes each season. Um, So I I, I like his stats. They they jump off the page. And when you watch tape of some of his games against um, some quality opponents, there's, there's one game that stood out to me against Marshall last year who was ranked number 22 against the pass. He had 370 passing yards, five touchdowns, and no interceptions. Um, So, in short, I think the guy can can throw the rock. Um, And I know he's in a situation where he's behind Ryan Tannehill, but should he get on the field, I also like what's in Miami for him. I like that it's Adam Gase there running the offense, and he showed an ability to adapt to player's strengths with Tim Tebow. Um, And I love the talent Here's in Miami as well. The good young core there with Landry, Parker, and Carew.
1: Yeah, and that's a very good point. Uh, you know, this is the first quarterback drafted by the new head coach. Tannehill could be gone next year. So you, you just never know And if Gaze is able to mold this guy how he wants and how he's going to make that offense work. I mean, he's not Peyton Manning, but he certainly has that that kind of you know gunslinger mentality where he you know Peyton man like Peyton Manning did in his younger days was able to get that ball deep and use his weapons to their to their uh their strengths um and just while you're talking I just had to I had to type it in the calculator like you said 50 touchdowns
0: in a college
1: season like a regular 12 game college schedule that's like over four touchdowns per game that's pretty nuts that is video game stuff Nick who do you have at number five Uh, Number five, I actually have uh, Christian Hackenberg.
2: You know, I really didn't like him going into the draft. I was shocked that he went as high as he did in the second round. But... You know what? As of now, he's got a very short path to uh, playing time, just like Cody Kessler is. Especially if they end up not bringing Fitzpatrick back. You know, it doesn't matter how good you are if you're on the bench. Look at a guy like Chase Daniels. He's a very, like, very highly regarded quarterback around the league, but he hasn't done jack for anybody who owns him in a dynasty league. So, and you know, if he does get on the field with the Jets, he's got Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker there to throw the ball to. So it's a pretty decent situation that he could find himself in if he gets to win the starting job.
1: nick nick going against me twice i, I just went out on a <laughs> limb there but uh <laughs> i guess I uh, guess i'll get over it um number five i have jack prescott and this is a guy that i've been up and down i think i had him ranked as high as number three at one point in time uh obviously the dui made made me made me rethink that uh but um i just Obviously, Romo's not going to be there three years from now, like Jerry Jones says. I just don't think that's going to happen. And they, you know, Dallas has had, you know, their bumps and bruises taking guys with somewhat concerns. And I'm not saying Dak Prescott is Greg Hardy. He's You know, he's, he, he's got that – he's got a couple blemishes on his record, you know, with that big DUI at a very bad time. Uh, but I think – and he probably – I don't think – this is the player that Dallas wanted, but I think he is a player that could work with them. Uh, he is not, you know. People always want to compare him to Colin Kaepernick. He's a running quarterback. He he has that ability, but he's got he's got a decent arm too, and I think that's going to flourish in in the NFL. You know, not 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 that he's going to be a top five court, fantasy quarterback, but he's certainly a top five guy in this class for me right now. And I really I really tried to stick to my guns with my rankings and not. Not let opportunity go because I just I you know it's the opportunity thing might might be just you know you know these next couple seasons I think you know it might take two years for Dak Prescott to actually get on the field but I think moving forward as all of us dynasty owners want is a guy that we can depend on and I think he could certainly certainly do that it's going he's gonna like I say, he's gonna get that Colin Kaepernick tag but he he's gonna be better than that and I and I really like his skill set there and I think. With uh, with people in place, and he's any quarterback who gets to hand the ball off to
3: Ezekiel Elliott should be uh, pretty pretty darn happy.
1: Uh, Brian, who did you have there at number
0: four?
3: Uh, next up, I've got Cardale Jones, uh, Buffalo Bills. Um, obviously, great size, six foot five, two hundred and fifty pounder. Um, had we had he entered the draft after his two thousand and fourteen national championship run, I mean, there was talk of him being a first round pick. Um, things didn't work out that great last year. Um, but he did show some things um, against some pretty good competition that lead me to believe he could succeed if, if he's put in the right spot. Um, I like the talent around him. I love pairing him with Sammy Watkins. Um, I like the, the running back trio, or is it quadruplets? I don't even know. They have so many running backs in Buffalo now. <laughs> uh, but I like the talent position players around him, and I also like the situation in that Tyrod Taylor's in front of him Tyrod is a mobile guy, likes to run, not the biggest guy, and he hasn't been able to work out an extension. So I could see a scenario where Tyrod gets hurt, Cardale gets a chance this year, and if that sounds familiar, I think it's very similar to a situation he saw in 2014 at Ohio State and succeeded. Um, so I like Cardale's chances potentially to take over as a starter in Buffalo.
1: Yeah, I actually have him. I can, I can go to here because I have him at number four, two uh, this is one of those things where I did let opportunity maybe come into play, and it's like uh, like Brian said, Buffalo, it's, they ha- not have, they haven't been able to work on extension. So it seems like Buffalo doesn't even want to work on extension, which is really weird. You know, they brought him over there uh, to compete, ended up being the starter, and having somewhat of a, a decent year. I said, you know, a few months ago he had a year very similar to uh, – Robert Griffin III's rookie year. So I mean, I'm not saying he's, his career is going to go the way Griffin did after that, but he had certainly had something to be uh, intrigued about. Uh, but uh, Buffalo doesn't seem to be so uh, enthused or intrigued in any, in any aspect there. So, uh, uh, like like uh, like Brian said, we could find a scenario where Cardell gets on the field and, and doesn't look back, and you know he's got the he's got some decent. Ability to get the ball downfield, and when you got a guy like Sammy Watkins. Yes, he has the foot injury now, but a guy that can make plays down the field like that, you gotta you gotta be intrigued by that. And uh, the fact that they, you know, new again with the new regime drafted quarterback, I always think that's a very important thing because even even though they're not taking a guy like this in the first or second round, they're still saying this is the quarterback that I want, and and they're willing to 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 do maybe so maybe give them a little bit more chances than a lot of a lot of other teams would if it's a quarterback that they inherited. They're going to let, let this guy figure things out. And if, even if it's not a great rookie year, even if he just shows somewhat of a nice potential, I think he could end up being their starter there for, for you know, the next three to five years. I really think that's possible there. Uh, Nick, who do you have a number four?
2: Well, I do want to say first that uh, you mentioned, Josh, that you – pretty much with your rankings stuck to talent over landing spot, I kind of went the opposite way. And if I were growing just based on talent, Cardale Jones would definitely be in my top five. He'd probably be at t- number three. It wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if in five years from now we we're saying that Cardale Jones is the number one quarterback out of this class. But uh, I do not have him in my top five because I went with more landing spots. So I uh, at four I have a guy you, you talked about a little bit earlier, Dak Prescott there in Dallas. Uh, you know, even if Romo is still there in three years, it seems like he only plays about eight games a season, so I think he's gonna have a he's gonna have an opportunity to see the field and being able to play with Des Bryant, one of the most physically talented receivers in the game, that's that's a bonus for any quarterback, right?
0: Yes,
1: and and Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah,
3: uh
1: Brian, who did you have at
3: number three? Uh this is where I'm probably gonna go against the grain a little bit, but I actually have Carson Wentz as my number three guy um, in Philadelphia. Uh, so I, I, and, and the separation between him and two is slim to none, but I mean, the reason I went this route is the level of competition to me is something that I, I have to put a little bit of weight in. Um, and he didn't stay healthy last year. Um, but I love his size, love his tools. Uh, think he, he'll have every opportunity to succeed in Philadelphia. Uh, but when I dove into the numbers a little bit and, and maybe my logic is off here, um, I just looked at – I mean, he has a reputation as a winner because he played for back-to-back FCS champion, North Dakota State. Um, and he was a winner, right? I mean, if you're a championship quarterback, you, you obviously are winning some games. But last year when he was hurt, his record was 5-2 and two when he started games, and the backup quarterback was 8-0. So I looked at the numbers a little bit more, and I wanted to see, okay, how does the team perform in those segments of games, in games with Wentz, they averaged 421 total yards of offense and 32 points. In games without him, they averaged almost identical stats 425 yards total offense, 37 points. So, my conclusion is, is that I think North Dakota State's just a really good FCS football team um, that didn't miss much of a beat when Wentz was out of the game. Um, so, I try to look at situations where we've seen that at the pro level. Think Andrew Luck's injury last year, Tony Romo's injury last year. When the quarterback goes down, um, sometimes a team will suffer if that quarterback is critically important to their success. So I don't want to give a ton of credit to Wentz um, for being the guy that carried that team on his shoulders, but I also don't want to discount and say he is 6'5", he's 230 pounds, he looks the part. Um, But for those reasons and the level of competition, I do have him one notch below probably where a lot of folks have him. Okay, well I actually have what's at number three too,
1: and cool. you bring up a very good point there with their backup quarterback kind of outperforming. I think uh, our our buddy Chuck, who does the ATS picks with us in season, one, we'll kind of called that the uh, the wounded dog theory, and that's when some you know, and that's more or less when Vegas kind of overreacts to a quarterback getting hurt, you know, and all of a sudden a team is a six point was a six point underdog and now they're a ten point underdog, and that's certainly a a ways that we can take advantage of that uh, via the, via Las Vegas, but uh, you know it, it is there is some truth to that where the team rallies around the back of quarterback. Everybody kind of tries to you know step up their game or press a little bit harder, and, and and maybe that's that was what was going on there. But I my thing with Wentz is I feel like we you know we know where Doug Peterson came from. We talked about the game manager thing already and Alex Smith, and I just think that level or that kind of offense is just a little bit more conservative. For, so for fantasy purposes, um, and I know Denver is conservative too, but uh, but for fantasy purposes, I just don't think Wentz is going to ever be one of these top elite guys. You know, maybe, maybe he's that guy that, oh, every year performs really well, but doesn't get a lot of respect because, you know, he just doesn't, you know, outperform anybody, or he doesn't jump off of the page statistic-wise. You know, maybe, maybe he is an Andy Dalton to stick on the uh, the ginger thing. Maybe he is that type of player who, you know, <laughs> maybe he's a Joe Flacco type of player. You know, that where where he's good, he does great great stats, and he doesn't kill your team, but he's not a guy that's going to come out and lead the league in passing yards and receiving yard or. Passing touchdowns or whatnot. He's just going to be one of those middle of the pack guys, and I think that's that's kind of I think that's his floor and his ceiling. So I think that's I think that's why I got Wentz there at number uh, three. Nick, who'd you have there?
2: Well, I definitely disagree with you guys on Carson Wentz, and maybe I'm just a sucker for a pro style quarterback. But you know, it just seems like the you know the other two big quarterbacks. They haven't, don't have practice taking snaps from center. That's just one more thing that you got to learn on top of all the other things you got to learn as a rookie. So I, I really like Carson Wentz. So at number three, I actually have Jared Goff. Uh, and most, uh, partly, it's due to landing spot. And you know, Jeff Fisher's teams really haven't had a whole lot of success offensively over the last few years. Uh, plus, all the stress of being in you know L.A., the second largest market on a brand or not a brand-new expansion team, but new-to-L.A. type of team, that's that's a lot of pressure for a 22-year-old kid who also played at school in the in the state. And I, I really wonder if uh, Wentz would have gone ahead of Goff had not, got, not gone to school at California
1: and had that California connection there. So I have uh, Goff at number 20. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, what, Nick's probably got Wentz at number one. That's
3: going to be my prediction. <laughs> Maybe I'll get one of these <laughs> right. uh,
1: Brian, who do you have
3: at
0: number two? Number
3: two, I've got Paxton Lynch, uh, Denver Broncos. uh, For all the reasons that we like Carson Wentz, and this is why those two are close for me. I mean, I love I love Paxton Lynch as well. I mean, awesome size, six foot seven, two forty four. The guy's got a cannon for an arm, Um, and above all things, I mean, I am letting situation kind of impact things here for me. I I mean, how do you not like a guy going to a Super Bowl championship team with a wide receiver duo? of Emmanuel Sanders and Demaryius Thomas um, with only Mark Sanchez in front of him. I mean, I, I think, and Mark Sanchez has already digged. So I I think that Paxton Lynch will have a chance to run with this job. And if he can show the ability to get the ball to those playmakers, I, I think that he might not look back. Yeah,
1: I, I agree with you there too. Uh, one one thing to keep in note, and I also have Lynch number two, is I'm pretty sure Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. This is they're both in contract year, so maybe that's mm-hmm. really good for one year, and maybe they have to build around him moving forward. But you know, as long as as long as they keep that defense chugging along, he's just going to have to make the plays. And this is kind of where I'm talking about both sides of my mouth. I think it is kind of a conservative offense, much like the Philadelphia scheme. But uh, I, I, there's some well, there's a lot of throws that I've seen on film for Wentz where I'm just like, what was that? I mean, there's one throw. I think it was in that M- F, F-, F- championship championship game, excuse me, this year where he just, I don't think he was throwing it away, but he just, it was just one of the most ugly throws I think I've ever seen on a football field, regardless of position. It just kind of just floated and flopped out there. And I, uh I just, I just, it just stuck with me. Like that's, the guy that's going number two overall, um, Lynch, I think, is a little bit limited. Yes, he has been, take a lot of shotgun things, shotgun snaps, and he's on, on in a very timing-based offense. But because he has that background and he's got this NFL, you know, chiseled body that size, uh, I think he's going to pick things up quicker than than maybe Wentz would. And I know that's I I know that Wentz. What's coming from a pro style offense is also a very good argument i can't I can't really discredit that, but I just think the fact that Lynch comes from timing based offense and was able to make quick decisions at college you know this guy can throw slants for days, and like Brian said, with two great receivers on this offense uh I think that's going to be a lot of fun there and i I think moving forward they'll be they'll be able to to not necessarily have to draft a certain type of wide receiver they can he can make it work as long as these guys can get open in that short intermediate thing i think they're going to be able to build around this kid for years and as an oakland raider fan that doesn't make me very happy but i think they i think they made the smart choice here by trading up to get lynch and i think he's going to be there for for a very long time nick guess we have jared goff at number two or wait you got lynch at two as well
2: I do. It's a clean sweep for uh, Lynch at two. Uh, One thing I really like about him is you look at uh, in college uh, in 2013, his team went three and nine with him starting. He turned that around to win ten games the next season. So you like that. You've got to figure that shows some sort of leadership ability. Uh, The biggest concern I would have with Lynch is the fact that Denver's defense is so talented. They may not have to throw the ball very much, so that could really limit his stats at least in the
1: first year or two. Uh yeah, and that might actually be a good thing moving forward. Um so uh Nick Nick, why don't you give us your once and then we'll go back to go back to Brian? Well I already talked about it a little
2: bit. It's uh, Carson Wentz is number one. He's really the only guy in this class that I really wanted to get in in my rookie drafts and I did land him in a couple. And like I said, I really like the fact that he played in that pro-style offense. It's such a rarity now with quarterbacks coming out of college. Everybody's using the shotgun spread offenses. So, uh, yeah, I just really like his upside. I like the landing spot in Philadelphia. Um, Got a couple of young, good receivers to work with in Matthews, and hopefully Aguilar steps up. And they also signed Ruben Randall, who I know he's a little bit dinged now, but he should be all right for the regular season. So I I, I think Wentz is in the best position uh,
1: as far as the top three quarterbacks. Okay. Yeah, I I got Goff at number 1 and you know, say what you will about this Rams offense and how they have been over the last couple of years. But I just think this he's going to be a game changer there and there's there's a reason why he went number 1 overall. I think he's going to bring a lot of elements to this team and this offense has not seen before and it's going to be a, a lot of fun to watch, you know. This this team just sucked. Converting their targets over the last couple of years, and some of that's the wide receivers, some of that's the whoever was playing quarterback. But I I think the culture is changing there, and he's got the stout running back behind him as well, and uh, I think that's gonna that's gonna do a lot to help him get comfortable and be able to make uh, make things make things happen there for this Rams offense. So uh, Brian, I
3: take it you got take it you got golf there as well. Yeah, I've got Goff, number one, with, with a bullet. I would draw like a line in the sand after him, and he would, he would be a top-tier guy for me. And the only reason I say that is he's, he's been elite every step of the way. I mean, he was elite coming into college um, as a high school prospect. He's started every game uh, since he set foot on campus at Cal, and he's, he's really lit it up. I mean, last year, in 10 of his 13 starts, he threw for 300-plus oh. yards, and in every single game, he threw for at least two touchdowns. Um, I know that doesn't necessarily translate to the Rams offense, totally different ball game. Um, but in terms of a prospect and what he did in college, I think he deserves to be in a conversation with Mariota and Winston from last year's class in terms of what he was able to do as a college football player at, at that position. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's got for me.
1: Okay. Um, Brian, I know you said you were quarterback starved in a couple leagues a few months back. Were you able to, were you able to land a quarterback?
3: Nope, no luck, and I'm not going to overpay either. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I'm still in search of a, of a quarterback, so uh, I'm actually going to count on Robert Griffin III in one league, which is going to be different. <laughs> uh, well, I can
1: tell you the quarterback class that is coming, well, the running back class comes pretty awesome, so that's going to knock some good quarterback prospects probably down to the end of the second round there for you, so you don't have to overpay. Uh make sure you find your guy uh next year. That's Unless right. of course Nick Nick trades up to draft another quarterback. Uh but <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Uh as always, Brian, amazing pleasure to have you on the show again and uh keep uh keep on keeping on and we uh will have you back.
3: Alright, thanks guys.
1: Alright. Good stuff there as always from Brian Hawks. Um any any thoughts, Nick, like Uh, Yeah, I know you said, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if Cardell's the best quarterback in this class, you know, five years from now. And any thoughts about, like, just what this class is going to look like and maybe how it could possibly be remembered maybe five, ten years down the road? Well, like I said, I'm not really high
2: on this class. Uh, Carson Wentz was the only quarterback I was targeting in the rookie draft. So, uh, you know, with Jared Goff, the thing that really uh, scares me is his win-loss record, 14 and 23 as a starter there, Cal. That that's, that scares me a lot for a, uh, putting that much faith in uh franchise quarterback. Uh, yeah, you know, Cardale Jones has a chance to do something. Uh, you look at a guy like Connor Cook, if something were to happen bad with a with Carr there in Oakland, Connor Cook's a pretty talented guy out of Michigan state. He could possibly make an impact but but overall i'm not really I'm not high on this class
1: mm. well, and you make a fair argument about Goff's college record, but would and I know it's a different a different animal, but you also bring up Derek Carr there briefly, you talked about cook I mean what's derek Carr's record after two years can't be very good in oakland I mean the, you know how do you how do you feel about how do you feel about him and and what he's going to do moving forward? Is there and is there a possibility you think Goff could overcome that?
2: Oh, there definitely is a possibility. I mean, he's a talented kid. He's the number one overall pick in the draft. I'm not trying to say he's garbage. <laughs> Don't get me wrong like that. But it just is is a red flag to me, and it's it's more of a red flag for a kid in college that can't win. Because you would think a, an elite quarterback at the college level would be able to just will his team to win, you know, fifty percent of their games. Whereas at the NFL level, all the teams are so talented that I, I don't, I, I don't mark that as against the quarterback at the NFL level that I do in college.
0: Sure.
1: Well, and you know, only the only thing I can think of is to argue against that is how many, how many quarterbacks that win the national championship or Heisman trophy go on to great NFL careers. It's it's not really, a, I don't, I guess I don't feel like it's really that important. I mean, obviously you don't want a guy that was, you know, had like five wins in four years as a starter. But I think, I think <laughs> the fact that golf was able to take that team from a one and 11 team, you know, what's, what's when you're one and 11, really puts you behind the eight ball as far as getting back to 500. But the fact that he was able to take that team and turn them around and make them a better team, I think, I think is certainly something that should not be discredited. So I, I don't know. I guess I don't necessarily think success. You know, you know, not, you know. I guess you want success, but you don't want. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to be concerned if the guy isn't. You know, if he's, as long as he's close to five hundred, maybe. Or I mean, how well was that? Fourteen and twenty six. I believe
2: uh, fourteen and twenty three. 14-23.
1: Fourteen, twenty. So yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess that's certainly a, a notable thing. But I guess I'm not going to hold it against him when you realize that eleven of those losses came in the first year, and he was able to to turn things around after that. So, um, we'll leave it at that. Oh, Dynasty, the one, but we kind of went IDP style this week. I guess, kind of, we did. But um, I thought it'd be fun during these rookie rookie draft season to kind of go do different, be be Apple on our dilemmas as w- what we were talking about. So um, that means next week we could potentially have, I don't know, we'll figure it out. Um, oh, by the way, next week we might be joining you on a Tuesday for sure. We'll, we'll, I Me and Nick need to sort that out, yet. yeah. But, uh, this week's dilemma we decided to pit Dion Jones versus Sua Cravens. And Nick, of course, as he always does through a Through an interesting wrench in the plan is he didn't take the Redskins which kind of kind of threw me but he chose uh, the Atlanta Falcons outside linebacker Deion Jones so let's play the music and uh, Nick will
0: hit you with Deion Jones
2: I'm guessing many dynasty owners are like me and sort of plan their off season or plan the roster in the off season. You know, I need X amount of startable defensive linemen. Uh, I need a certain amount of good linebackers, et cetera. But having somebody like Sua Cravens can completely throw a wrench in your planning. Is he going to be a linebacker or safety? And whatever his designation is this year could change in the future. I'm guessing he's going to be used similarly, similarly to the Honey Badger in Arizona but that would be a safety designation, and that would hurt his value compared to a linebacker because safeties are easier to come by. But we really don't know for certain what his role is going to be. But in Atlanta, it sounds like, from what I've read anyway, that Deion Jones will be the new middle linebacker, replacing uh, Paul Warlow, who put up pretty good IDP numbers despite not having the talent that Deion Jones has. Remember, Jones ran a sub-4, 440. That kind of speed should open up even more tackle opportunities than Warlow had and makes him a three-down player whereas Cravens could end up in mostly sub-packages early on, since he is kind of almost learning two different positions in a sense. I really like Stuart Cravens. I think he's going to be an impact player in D.C. one way or another, but especially with my IDP guys, I want to know what their role will be, which is the biggest reason I took Jones. And also, you know, I love—I know, Josh, that you love Stuart Cravens, so as a skin fan, I did kind of want to hear you talk about it. <laughs> what do you got?
1: Uh... Well, obviously, any depth chart should not be taken seriously at this time of year. But preliminary reports that I have seen have, um, and I may be looking just at our lads and reading a little bit here and there, but I've seen preliminary reports have Jones kind of playing the Bruce Urban role on the Dan Klan scheme, which, as as all we all know, has not been a favorable IDP position. So. I'd love to read some reports about him playing middle linebacker because that is Devondre Campbell's ticket into this defense. That's what I think, anyway. Uh, Cravens will be an in-the-box nightmare for Washington. Washington opponent, excuse me. Their, their maturing talent on the outside can funnel, act as a funnel for his game. This dilemma does kind of put me in an awkward position, like Nick said, as I'm basically telling Nick how good his team's defense is going to be. All right, the Redskins defense is not a top-ten unit, I don't think, this year. But that's also why I love Cravens to be the one mopping things up. Josh Norman, Brashard Breeland, and D'Angelo Hall in the same secondary. Cravens should be free to roll. Like I said in the question-answer last week, the Redskins defense has made podunk safeties turn into IDP gems as a play. Trenton Robinson, remember him? I don't even know where the guy's at now. And Keyshawn Jarrett a state rookie out of safety out of virginia tech last year who is also hurt which means craven certainly has enough a nice uh step into this defense uh very early on craven excels at pass coverage and giving chase which are two as far as i'm concerned the two most important attributes to being a pro safety he also has a whole high school career plus one season at usc playing safety uh, Craven's also played linebacker for the final two seasons at USC, thus the versatility status in draft. And Jones is also also got kind of got the hybrid tag during the draft process. Yet Jones lacks size and the natural instincts I believe to be a middle linebacker and a year one contributor. Jones seems to be relegated to the outside linebacker role as far as I'm concerned, although he does have enough speed to move inside a nickel and dime package. So I will agree that Jones is certainly a three-down player. I just don't know when that's going to happen. Uh, with just one year as a starter, he, he only amassed 20 career tackles for loss in college, while Cravens had 17 his sophomore year and 15 his junior year. Cravens also, and I think that's important too, because that just means that they, if you're getting tackles for loss, I think you certainly get a handful of those on your ability to – to anticipate and your instincts to jump up and and make things happen and not, you know, not lose your ground in the process. Cravens has also worked exclusively at inside linebacker during rookie mini camp. As teams as said the team wants him to be prepared and comfortable but comfortable making coverage adjustments as an inside player uh, before they move him out to cover slot receivers. So basically in the short term Cravens could be getting linebacker-like production, um, based on opportunity, but but at, with the safety designation, which I think is exploitable goodness at least for one year. We did see that change with Dan Buchanan this year, as he's now listed as a linebacker on NFL. I think the big knock on Cravens is that he will be he can get over, overwhelmed at the point of attack in the NFL. But that is exactly why I love him playing inside linebacker or safety or on the second or third level, because most of the beefcake blockers lose steam at that point. Jones, on the other hand, will be trying to trim the edge versus right tackles and tight ends and pulling guards. Thus, I think his just adjustments are going to simply take a lot longer, and I just don't know if that's going to be the case. Jones also has a little bit of trouble tackling So I mean, I think speed does kind of make up for that at some point, but I just I really struggle to see Jones. And I think I may be a little bit more excited about Devontae De Campbell. I think it might take a year, but I think he could be a, a solid player in this Atlanta scheme. So Nick, any rebuttal there? Well, you
2: mentioned that uh, Deion Jones only has 21 career tackles for loss in college. But, you know what, he played at LSU. And when you play it at SEC school, everybody in front of you is going to be more talent. Or everybody that's older, everybody on the depth chart has a lot of talent. So a lot of times players don't get to play a lot until their senior year. That was the case with Deion Jones. Uh, you know, 27 tackles was his career high his junior year. And then last year in his senior year, he broke out with 100 tackles and had 13 and a half tackles for loss. So as soon as he actually – got a path to playing time, he produced. So I, I don't think that's fair to hold that against him when he played at such a talented
1: school. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, each and every week we do a little something that I like, I like to call Nick Rants. It's where I give my co host the floor to kind of rant about something that's
0: <laughs> bothering
1: him. Usually it's football related. Sometimes I like to call it shot players. um uh, uh, Every, every week, I
2: just call it Nick break so next week. Up. Well, SI.com recently published a column by Melissa Jacobs with a very interesting idea. Expand the regular season from 17 weeks to 22 weeks, still with 16 games. You'd have five bye weeks, plus every team would be off during the week of Christmas when some sort of Pro Bowl get together would happen. I'm not going to lie, this plan has a lot of positives. Of course, five extra weeks of games would be a huge revenue builder, and I'm pretty sure the NFL Shield never saw a dollar sign it didn't like. Now, six weeks off during the season could help players recover from injuries, so it would definitely be a win for the players as well as the owners. The fans would love it, five extra weeks of games. You know, the whole Pro Bowl skills competition, whatever, I don't know if that would work, but even still, just take the Christmas week off and give college bowl season some time in the spotlight. And the season isn't starting earlier. It's going later. So the extra weeks are going to be mostly in February. What's better than a Bills-Patriots game? A Bills-Patriots game in a blizzard, that's what. So, you know what, are there any losers in this scenario? Oh, yes, there are. Fantasy owners. With so many bye weeks, fantasy seasons could become completely decided by which team can actually field enough players. A league like DFW-16 especially would be affected. With 16 teams and only one copy of each player, most teams don't have more than two starting quarterbacks. Zero quarterbacks available on the waivers, so if both your quarterbacks are on a bye, which will happen a lot more often with all these extra bye weeks, you're going to be screwed. So, as fantasy owners, I guess let's just hope old Roger Goodell has been too busy dealing with Tom Brady and
1: the dose concussion
2: scandal and the owners' meetings and all that to maybe he just uh, didn't notice
1: this proposal, right? Yeah, I don't think my wife would like it very much either. But uh, <laughs> that's uh, that being said, I think yeah, it's obviously just a out- outlandish idea. Um, that's a lot of bye weeks. I don't even want to think about that as a fantasy owner. <laughs> uh i mean the nfl already basically rules you know the the mind of a lot of people for 11 months out of the year really june is the only down month i think you know even after the nfl draft people spend all of May talking about grading the nfl draft so june is the already down month i mean what that's I think there's g I think that might be too much football. We might have reached a point where that would be too much for too long. And uh, you know, I don't think I would ever would have ever said that, but I think that just might be too much. Uh so I guess we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, that's a fun thing to talk about though. Um let's do some dynasty trade analysis here, Nick. Um sometimes these have a theme. I don't think these really have a theme, but let's play the music. <laughs>
0: Time for
3: Dynasty Trade Analysis. Get up
0: glad I'm everybody
3: on your feet. So All right, all right, all right.
1: Okay. Um, this is an interesting one to me and right away I thought I'm just like what's that about but the more and more I thought about it, it it made a whole lot of sense. Uh maybe not perfect sense, but it just it makes more sense to me now. So Emmanuel Sanders for Haha Clinton Dix, what do you think they're next? Uh, I think I
2: probably had the same initial reaction as you. Like, why would you trade a good receiver like that for uh, free safety? But, you know, the more I thought about it, too, the more it made sense. Emmanuel Sanders isn't getting any younger. uh, Like you mentioned earlier in the show, he's in the last year of his contract, so he might be moving on. Even if he isn't moving on, he's going to be playing with either Mark Sanchez or a rookie quarterback this year. So that's going to hurt his. Uh, production most likely and whereas ha clinton Dix is a free safety he produces better than most free safeties plus he's so young uh and he's playing on a packers team that you know is involved in a number of shootouts so that you know puts a lot put, makes for more work for the secondary members sometimes so i think it's pretty even i would lean slightly towards the side of ha clinton Dix, but i definitely
1: understand it both ways yeah and i think with um with him and Morgan Burnett, the strong safety skill set. I think the Green Bay, and maybe somebody can totally describe this, but I feel like when I watch Green Bay games, it's they are not I mean, they they might be listed at that, but they kind of take turns. I mean, that they in terms of where where the what hash the ball is on. one of them's a free safety, one of them is a strong safety, and that's exactly why. Dix produces a lot better than most free safeties do do because he does have a chance to jump up and play in the box a little bit more, more so because both, like I said, both him and Burnett have similar skill sets. Emmanuel Sanders is 28, 29 years old, I think when the season starts. So, I mean, yeah, he could have three or four solid years left, but I think Dix could, you know, Dix obviously could have a decade left in him and we know if Green Bay likes the guy, he's going to stick around there for a long time. And he's certainly found a home and has played a lot better, I think, than a lot of people thought he would. And he's, I think he's only getting better there for Green Bay. So um, this is somewhat of a controversial one here from DFW36, Nick. Uh, actually, the last couple are controversial. So maybe this is the controversial theme for the uh, tri- dynasty trade analysis this week. Uh, Matt Jones, Kenny Stills. Leonard Williams, 2000, 2017 third and 2017 fifth for Stefan Diggs and Chris Hogan. What do you think? Um, I I strongly
2: lean towards the side that acquired Matt Jones and Leonard Williams and the extra picks. Stefan Diggs, you know, he looked like the future was bright. as possible wide receiver one in Minnesota. Now he's definitely going to be relegated to wide receiver two on an offense that isn't the highest-powered offense, Teddy Bridgewater, looks like he could possibly be starting to be a game manager type of quarterback. And, um, sorry, who was the other? uh, Oh, yeah, Chris Hogan. You know, he may end up being a big-time producer in New England, but those New England offensive weapons are so hard to predict whether or not they'll actually pan out there. So, yeah, I I would have to blame the side that at least gets uh, Matt Jones, who you know is going to be a starting running back this year.
0: Anyway, and
2: uh, Leonard Williams, who this guy could be the limit for him, in defensive line. Once he gets acclimated
1: to the NFL level, of course. Yeah, you know, the picks, the picks do certainly put this push this in that in that direction. I do really like Stephon Diggs, and I think Treadwell being there actually makes him a better player because he's not going to be depended on. And he's he's certainly not gonna be the top target getter, but he could be one of those guys that scores a bunch of long touchdowns for this offense, kind of maybe more of a Deshaun Jackson without the attitude and really healthy. Uh but uh I I I like it and I've seen, you know, I've seen people turn down more more for that than Dicks before. I've seen people turn down two first round picks for him, so um and this, I know this is DFW 36 with the three copies of each player. As somebody who's trying tried to move uh, some veteran defensive ends during the draft, it is not that easy because there are so many teams that have like six to eight defensive ends on their team, and you're just, why do you have so many defensive ends? <laughs> so I think that's somewhat of a, because of the three copies, I think that's somewhat of a watered-down position. Obviously, you want to have a J.J. Watt, are these guys that score you know over two hundred points? And but there's there's not a lot of those guys out there. So the rest, I think the rest of the bunch are pretty pretty similar. So I think that position's somewhat watered down in this league. Uh, you know, there's some people excited about Matt Jones. I'm still on the fence. I know that the Callahan blocking scheme could certainly help him, but I I, I haven't seen seen enough to give him my full endorsement. So. Uh, but really, the best player in this deal is King Steele's, right? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, Chris Hogan, in the short term, could be very solid there in New England. I think that's an interesting play there. So uh, Another one, a controversial one here, Brashard Perryman for a 2017 second and a
2: 2017
1: fourth. What do you think? Uh, to me, it just feels
2: like the Brashard Perryman owner got too impatient here. Uh, he missed all of last year due to injury, of course. So, you know, sometimes when you're a first-round pick, you watch him just sit there inactive all season long. It can kind of wear on you, and then you sell low the next offseason. I think that's exactly what happened here. I think if you invested a first-round pick in Perriman last year, there's no point in selling him yet for anything less than a first-round pick before we see what he can do on the field.
0: Mm -hmm. Well,
1: and added to this is I know the people involved in this trade, the guy that, traded Perryman away, took this team over mid season. So he wasn't a player that he drafted, but I do agree. If you're going to sell a a player like that, you need to get the the same type of thing in return before he actually steps onto the NFL field. I know know how frustrated it is because, excuse me, I own Kevin White in multiple leagues and I own, as I've said many times, I own Kevin White and Burchard Perryman in one league. Those are my first two picks in one league last year. So, uh, looking and hoping for bigger and better things uh moving forward. So I think it's that's one attribute as a dynasty you have to have is patience. And lots of it I believe. So uh we will uh leave the trade analysis at that. Uh top five rookie tide ends there, Nick. Now, this might be a bit of a stretch, and I I, kind of went over like a top 12 during the pre-draft process, and things certainly are different now that everybody has landing spots. But is there a guy outside of your top five, Nick, that you just think, well, maybe, maybe he could do something? Not really,
2: and honestly, It's pretty rare that I draft a rookie tight end, I'll be honest with you. I mean, if you need a producer for this year, trade for a veteran because these rookies we talked about it all the time, the rookie tight ends take, you know, two, three years before they're actually effective in the NFL. So, you know, you're we're talking about spending probably a third-round pick if you want one of the top guys like uh, Hooper or Henry. So I, I just personally, I and you look around the NFL, I think most of the tight ends outside of the top five or six guys you could trade a third round pick and get today. And these are guys that could help you out this season. So it, it, it's tough for me to spend a, that high of a draft pick on a rookie tight end. So not a guy outside my top five, but a little general tight end
1: philosophy for you. Okay. Well, I, I tend to agree with you there, but I guess as a guy who's in a rebuilding mode in a lot of leagues, I'm willing to, willing to pull the trigger on at least these top couple guys, I think. But, um, Um, the one, the one guy that does intrigue me is David Morgan. The second, I know we interviewed him, so maybe I have too much of a soft spot, but I think, I think Minnesota could build around him. I love the, I love their other tight end there and Michael Pruitt too. Kyle Rudolph is going to be gone at the end of next year, probably, or, end of 2016 so I think they could have a a, a nice one-two punch at tight end for a, a quarterback that likes to likes to just do damage in the intermediate so that that might be an interesting uh interesting development there I know it's going to take time there for David but I, th- I think it's I think it's a good a good landing spot for him because Pruitt's a guy that they can move all over the place and, and David's a solid blocker as well as a good route runner so I think he could find a home you know, as the in-line tight end, which is going to open up certainly a lot of opportunities for him with some great talented wide receivers around him and Trey Well and Diggs. Um Number five, I had Thomas Duarte. Uh Definitely the smaller, been a lot of Jordan Jordan Reed comparisons. Um, definitely that moved tight end type of player, not a blocker certainly. And I think that might help him be more successful with just Jordan Cameron and Dion Sims on the depth chart. You know, Sims is certainly more of the blocking kind of player, Cameron did I say it right? Yeah, Jordan Cameron. Not Cameron Jordan. Jordan Cameron. Um God, I always do that. I um yeah, I just I just don't have any any faith in the fact that he can stay healthy, so uh, if if Duarte gets on the field and they start throwing him, uh, you know, with, with Cameron's gonna could be gone from this team. We're, we're never gonna look back. So I I like Thomas Duarte there at number five. I think it's a solid landing spot that they could build around. And we know Adam Gaze is able to do a lot of things with the tight end there, and uh, and and both Chicago and Denver. So if the fact that he's got a kind of an underrated athlete there. At with Duarte, even though he is 6'2", 230, I think that could be a lot of fun in this offense. Who do you have there, number five, Nick? Number five, I actually have uh, David Morgan the second, uh in Minnesota.
2: You mentioned he's a good blocker, and a lot of times that's the uh... – what, what it takes to get on the field as a young tight end is being able to block. So that, that could open some doors for him. And he had a solid off-season performances at the East-West Shrine game and at the Combine. And, of course, like you mentioned, he was a guest of ours shortly prior to the draft. Uh, in Minnesota there, Kyle Rudolph is flashed. But, you know, in a year or two, I've, couldn't It wouldn't surprise me at all if Morgan ended up starting there with, like you said, Michael Pruitt also there. Uh, you know, the team's probably going to move on from Kyle Rudolph with, as soon as his contract is up. He just hasn't been consistent enough for the team to invest in him, I don't think. So I, I got Morgan there
1: at number five. Okay, number four, um, I got Jarrell Adams. And, man, this giant's tight end cluster is really becoming murky because they they also signed Bryce Williams, another rookie there, and they have Will Ty and Larry Donnell still around. I don't know if he's healthy, but uh, I don't know what's going to happen there, but I think in terms of uh, talent, as much as I love Willie Ty, I think just in terms of talent, physical ability, I think Jarrell Adams is probably the most talented person on that roster, tight end-wise, and I think and while it might take a year or two or maybe three, like we, like we see with tight ends, I think he could be a very solid play for them. Especially with guys like Beckham and Shepard doing doing what they do on the outside, uh, things are going to be open single coverage. You know, outside linebacker, maybe strong safety for Adams, and because uh, that other safety is going to be required to come over the top on those other two receivers. So I I, I like Adams, and I think he could certainly grow in this offense as as the years go by. Who'd you have there, Nick? Number four. Well, I,
2: I also like Adams, and if this was just a purely talent-based list, I would have had Adams in my top five. But like you mentioned, it's just such a cluster of tight ends there in New York that I I can't put them in the top five. So at number four, I have a year number five guy, Thomas Duarte in Miami. It's just such a great landing spot to me. Jordan Cameron has been just disappointing ever since his one breakout year in Cleveland I don't know how many years ago. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if Duarte was their starter in
1: 2017. Yeah, and like I said earlier, with Gaze was not only able to make do of one uh, of the tight end position in both of his landing or both of his stops here on the coaching tree. Now he's the head coach there in Miami and they they always were able to make use of two or three tight ends. So you know there's a Duarte wrinkle in this offense somewhere. Um coming, I should say. Uh number three, I got Tyler Higby. Um he, he again had the weird domestic issue, domestic abuse issue, moving really close to the draft, which was a big red flag. But uh, I think he has the ability, like no other tight end in this draft, to just get deep. I I want to say he's quicker than fast, since he didn't since he didn't run a uh, doesn't have a forty time to report because he did tear up his knee last year. But I think given time like with all of these guys he could develop into a very solid weapon there for golf and if he if he comes back and, and shows that ability to 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 really really separate and and uh just kind of be a, a vulture there in the middle of the field um i think uh that it could be very good news there for the rams offense who do you have a number three there nick
2: uh, I also have Tyler Higbee there at three. You know, Jared Cook is now gone, so that could open up the door for Higby to see earlier than normal playing time for a tight end. But just in general, I'm not high on the Rams offense, you know, other than Todd Gurley, of course. But, uh, you know, I'm not a big Jared Goff guy. I don't like Jeff Fisher's offensive weapons. So I, I just can't pay the the current app price for Higbee. But I do have him ranked
1: as my number three tight end. Okay. Um, number two, I got... Austin Hooper, and I I could honestly fl- flip-flop one and two and, and not not really bad. an eye. Uh, Seattle, excuse me, Atlanta has been searching for a tight end for a long time. I'm not saying he's the next Tony Gonzalez, but I think he is, in terms of talent-wise, I think he's certainly – the 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 most talented player they've had at that position in a long time, and it might take might take um, a couple of years to show, but I think he might actually have the best year as a rookie, but just because he's gonna he, he's gonna have the opportunity. I mean, with Jacob Tammy and that guy's name I can't pronounce Levine to or whatever whatever his name is, I I think hooper once he gets a chance and he comes from that pro style offense too so i think he understands blocking he's also a pretty solid route runner so i i think if he can if he can beat out you know tammy for some targets and he could be a a beast in the red zone and obviously any tight end that's got julio jones requiring two dbs every play is going to have more more room to roam there. So I I, I really like Austin Cooper there, and he, he might actually end up being better than a, than my number one movie. In the short term, we'll see how that goes. Nick, who do you have at number two? Uh, number two, I have
2: Hunter Henry, actually, from San Diego. I personally won't own him. Uh, I am a jaded uh, Ladarius Green owner, so I have zero interest in owning Antonio Gates' new backup. Uh, speed hasn't <laughs> been Antonio Gates' game for a long time but he still produces. So, you know, since he doesn't have to be fast to produce, he could play till he's 40. Who knows? So, you know, Henry in two to three years might end up filling that role, but to have to roster him for that long and wait for Gates to retire at some point and pay the price for who's usually going as the number one drafted tight end in rookie in this rookie class, I, I just can't do it. So I've got him at number two.
1: I agree. If you want Hunter Henry, you really got to pay, pay a, a big, a bigger price in terms of where you can get uh, Austin Hooper. I mean, Austin Hooper, you can usually get in the third round Hunter Henry ended the first early seconds. He, otherwise he's gone. So, uh, I, yeah, number one, I do have Hunter Henry. I, I do think eventually Chandler will win out and what you say makes sense. I mean, the same could be said for everybody who is drafting the next tight end in Dallas. You know, I mean, this year it's Rico gathers a couple of years ago. It was Gavin Escobar. We or James Hanna, or, you know, at least Martellus Bennett was able to leave Dallas and do something, but there's just a long list of tight ends that Dallas has drafted to be the eventual Witten replacement. Witten just won't leave.
0: I mean he's just
1: <laughs> sits there and produces year after year. And uh, yeah, we just, you just, you just don't know. So I, I, you know, everybody does say this is a, a tight end centric offense. So, you know, obviously that's going to depend if Philip Rivers is there and, and, you know, the same, the same coaches are there when Henry gets finally gets a chance, but I do think he is the most talented tight end in this draft. And I think, where he might be limited in some aspects to get on the field. We know Antonio Gates hasn't been super healthy, and the older he gets, that opens opens things up a little bit more. So, I think Henry will ultimately be the best tight end in this class. I think Hooper might be a little soft, might be a better play in the short term, but moving down down the road, I think Henry could actually be a very very solid player in terms of his what what the legacy he's going to leave behind there in the, in the NFL. So. How uh, was our top five rookie tight ends? Somewhat similar, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. We, like, like we said many, many times, it's going to take years for these guys to develop. So that's another reason I'm so excited about Eric Ebron this year because this is his Um, One name we didn't mention in the quarterbacks, Nick. Any thoughts on Jeff Driscoll? Getting a little bit of buzz because. Gabbert isn't winning the job outright who knows where Colin Kaepernick's head is I mean is there any chance you know I am a firm believer that Driscoll in this Chip Kelly scheme I think is very very intriguing and where he's not a solid X's and O's guy if he gets the opportunity to sit there for a year and watch and is their starter next year I would be super excited about it what do you think
2: yeah, I, I agree. You know, he's got some some physical talent there. Uh, he's kind of raw. He only had one full season as a starter there at Louisiana Tech. But he's six four, two thirty, something like that. And yeah, I, I think he could he could be an impact. He's if you have an extra roster spot and want to stash one of these later on quarterbacks,
1: he's definitely a good name to look at. Yeah, yep. And I waited too long to stash him. When I where I own Colin Kaepernick, so we'll, so of course he's going to be awesome. Um. Oh, Nick is going to try to stump me trivia style. I've been excited about this all week. What do you got, Nick? I'm ready. Okay, so I figured uh, I'd go with your Raiders, since that would be the best chance for you. <sighs> okay. Um,
2: now, the Ra- the Raiders took Derek Carr with the 36th overall pick. Can you name the four quarterbacks the Raiders drafted higher than the number 36 overall pick?
1: Then the four quarterbacks, they drafted higher. So, like, in their history? Yep, in the, in the Raiders' history. How many the
0: four okay. quarterbacks, they drafted oh, higher
1: than the 36th overall? Well, obviously, Jamarcus Russell is yep. one of them. Forgive me if I am get the first name wrong, but uh, Vince Evans? Uh, nope. No, okay. Um Todd Morenovich? Yep, that is another one.
2: Number twenty four okay. overall pick in
1: ninety one. Oh. Wow, that's a good question. Uh um <laughs> God, if this is one of the, the remaining right. guys. Is, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, I was just going to say two, three, one two. of the
2: one of the remaining guys is within our lifetime. The other one is before we were born.
1: Oh, okay. Kenny Stabler, is that one of them? Uh, no, Ken Stabler was
2: actually the number 52 overall pick the year he was
1: drafted. Oh, okay. I knew he was fairly high on our
0: lifetime.
1: All right, I'm going to say Mark Wilson, and I really hope that's wrong. That is actually correct. He was the number 15 oh overall my God, pick back in exactly. 1980. <laughs> oh, I drafted that punk that early? Wow, okay. So is it the last one, Daryl LaMonica? Uh, nope. George Landa? Nope. Okay, I think I've had enough guesses. <laughs> uh,
2: it was actually Roman, Roman Gabriel back uh, in 1962
1: with the number oh, one geez. overall pick. Yep. Nineteen sixty two? Yeah. Wow. I had no idea that he was ever even a Raider. I remember him with Philadelphia and the Rams and I think he even played for the Cardinals, but uh I always liked that name. Maybe I just like how uh um not Sam Spence, who's that guy? Who's the who's the NFL Films guy? Why can't I think of his name? Um, but anyway, I should I'll, mention
2: though, originally, originally I had this as just the last three, and then when I saw there was only one more quarterback that they took ahead, I, I went ahead and added Roman Gabriel to the list. So you would have been three for three had I took the original question.
1: Uh, John Trischenda, thank you for giving me a moment. Look, <laughs> NFL Films voice guy. Just if you ever, if you ever seen him or hear him say Roman Gabriel, you know, you know how cool that is he just said it's so cool.
0: Um,
1: I didn't mean for this to happen, Nick, but I just happened to stumble upon something before the podcast. So, of course, I have a trivia question for you now. Uh, but I want to say I'm going to give you a clue, and there's no pressure because I, and I'm, I don't think I would have got, but I do hold you maybe somewhat higher than myself. But anyway, can you name the last defensive tackle to lead the league in sacks? And my clue is it happened in the year 2000.
2: Year 2000. That would have been after Dana Stubblefield's big year in the late 90s. Um, uh, Gilbert, Gilbert, the the defense tackle, Sean Gilbert.
1: Was it him? No. No. I I have no idea. Leroy Glover. Hmm, for the Saints. Yeah, big yeah. um, Best number 36. I can't believe somebody's given us the podcast long enough to get to number 36, Nick, but we're there. <laughs> um, what am I going to say when it's 99? But anyway, um, what do you got for us? Best number 36. Oh uh, Well, we'll start with
2: uh, Lawyer Malloy, a four-time Pro Bowler with New England. He also played with Buffalo, Atlanta, and Seattle. Played from 1996 through 2010, and he only missed six games during that time. Very, very reliable safety, and also won a Super Bowl with New England in 2001. Uh, Merton Hanks is another safety who made four Pro Bowls while playing with San Francisco. Hanks also has a Super Bowl ring for his 1994 season when he had a career-high of seven interceptions. Cornerback Terry McDaniel never won a ring playing with the Raiders uh, and one year in Seattle in the late 80s and 90s, but he did go to five Pro Bowls during his 11-year career, and his eight defensive touchdowns is still good for 33rd of all time. Now, going back a ways, Clem Davis started his career as a defensive back in Dallas in 1960, then went to the Raiders the following season, who moved him to running back. The switch was definitely a success, as Daniels wound up leading the league in rushing in 1963, the first of his four straight Pro Bowl seasons. Now we move on from uh, two Raiders to a Florida State guy, so I guess 36 must be your favorite number of all time, right, Josh? (laughs) Anyway, uh, Leroy Butler played with the Packers his whole career from 1990 through 2001, won a Super Bowl in 1996, four-time Pro Bowler and four-time All-Pro, and he had four seasons with five or more interceptions, 38 picks for his career. That's pretty good for a strong safety. Now, none of these fine players are in the Hall of Fame, however. So the best number 36, to me, has to go to the 2015 Hall of Fame inductee, Jerome Bettis. The bus was a six-time Pro Bowler. His first three seasons were with the Rams. Two of those were actually Pro Bowl seasons. But he is definitely more remembered, of course, for his 10 years in Pittsburgh. Uh, Jerome Bettis had eight 1,000-yard seasons. He rushed for over 13,000 years, yards in his career. That's good for six all-time. Uh, his 91 rushing touchdowns, his 11th all-time, and he finally got a Super Bowl ring in his final season at the ripe old running back age of 33. So I think Jerome Bettis has to be the best number 36 of all time.
1: Yeah, pretty hard to argue with that. Um, As as a kid, being somewhat... uh, shallow in terms of just what I just what I liked (laughs) for some reason the uh Mark Hayes there was a cornerback, Mark Hayes that wore number 36 for Denver but he had the he had the sweetest face mask that was really one of the most underrated face masks of all time of all time and I know we really can't have a face mask discussion on this podcast it's it's not a video maybe that's to come (laughs) but uh just looking about Mark Hayes you know what I mean um but yeah how can you really Argue with the bus. I mean, he was called the bus because he took people to school. I mean, that's that's just what it was. I mean, that was that's what it was all about. I mean, he literally, yeah. if people didn't ride him, he was flattening them or knocking them over, right?
2: Yeah, I thought he was called the bus because he would just carry so many defenders on his back. I, I thought that's why he was <laughs> called the
1: bus. Uh, one more name I want to mention. He's in the Hall of Fame, uh, credited for wearing the number 36, but he actually wore the number 76 most of his career. But just in case, you know, whenever we get to the number 76 point and I'm all sentimental about some offensive linemen, I wanted to mention Marion Motley, uh, fullback, non-face mask era, speaking of face masks, uh, he looks like he's about six eight, three hundred and forty pounds. Uh, maybe not that heavy, but he just looks like a man a man a man amongst boys in any of those NFL films you see and just just a p one of the first pure power running backs. So if you if you have a moment to sit down and YouTube Mary Motley or even just Google image him, it's just and you know what I mean. Just a, a fun player to watch and I don't know everything about the guy but an absolutely fun player uh to watch, that's a certain. Um So, yeah, I just wanted to mention Marion Motley there. Um, Oh, it's time for us to do some more rookie draft grades as uh, Nick and I will grade each other's cronies draft. Now, this league is a little bit different. It's kind of an experimental thing that me and Nick tried to do a few years ago. So every first handful of years in this league, we were not able to make any roster moves during the season. So, we just, it was kind of a draft and leave type of dynasty type of thing. So, there's going to be some veterans mixed into this draft. Throughout the entire draft, we could draft veterans. And there was certainly a number of notable veterans out there available, like Thomas Rawls, Chuck Hendrick West, just to name a few there. So, guys like that were out there. Uh, but, so what do you got there, Nick? What do you got in my cronies t- draft? Again, I threw a lot of picks at you, I think. Yep, definitely a lot of picks. Uh, at 1.02,
2: you took LaFontree Treadwell. well. 1.09, Michael Thomas for the Saints. 2.02, Devontae Booker, uh, running back Denver. 3.02, Keith Marshall, running back for Washington. 3.09, Austin Hooper, the Atlanta tight end. 6.02, Darius Jackson, a Dallas running back. 7.02, Daniel Riverman, uh, wide receiver for Chicago. uh Jordan Payton, the wide receiver for Cleveland, and 7.11, so the second-to-last pick in the draft, your boy Cody Kessler for Cleveland.
0: Now, with the number
2: two (laughs) overall pick, you know, you're obviously going to be in rebuilding mode. The return of Kevin White is going going to help your team for sure, but you're still probably not going to win a championship this year when you have the number two overall pick. So it makes sense, the fact that you drafted all rookies and avoided the veterans available that are more short-term fixes. Uh, You know, really, I tried to find flaws in your strategy, but I struggled to do so. I didn't see any names that were big reaches. You know, Treadwell and Thomas, that's both. Both were best player available at the time. Uh, Booker in the second round is a good value. Keith Marshall you, and all third down backs are more valuable in the best ball format that we're in. So that was a good pick there in round three. Uh, Hooper was a second rookie tight end off the board. You know, it's nice letting the market set and then taking the second player to the position rather than wondering if you traded up and reached too far for the first guy's position. So you waited until there was already a rookie tight end off the board before taking one. So I like that strategy. And now in the seventh round, you know, those picks sometimes don't even make your final roster, but I think your two rounds likely will. If, and it's a big if, but if Cody Kessler ends up starting and Peyton is his favorite target, you could have struck gold in the seventh round. It's not a likely scenario, of course, but it is possible. And if, if it doesn't happen, oh, well, just a couple seventh round picks anyway. So I'm going to give you an A-. minus. It's not a draft that makes you an immediate contender, but it definitely improves your team and sets you up for a run in two years or so.
1: Yeah, I I'm, I'm hoping so and hopefully if I have a top, you know, top 5 pick next year too on the first I can build on that. I actually have two firsts next year too, so um thanks to training Brandon Marshall. So I'm I'm excited about what I can add to this team in the future. Um Daniel Braverman, that was the other guy I took in the 7th round and especially, I mean, I don't love having two bears wide receivers, but especially if Elshon walks I think Braverman could be an absolute beast in this offense. I, I, he's a smaller guy and is going to be relegated to the slot. But, man, I love watching this guy play. If you want to see smooth, crisp routes, I mean, I, I just – it's its hard not to watch this guy and think of Tyler Lockett. So I think I think he's a really undervalued player. And I think moving forward, he's – some people are going to be really mad that they let him slip in drafts. Uh, so Nick Haddock. Didn't draft a quarterback in this league, uh, <laughs> uh, but he went to one point zero four. He had so he, he went to Josh Daxon, which um, you know he's also got his pick picking highs so in this in this league or excuse me, this draft. So he's not necessarily going to have a huge a huge stealing uh, this year, but I think uh, he's certainly giving a nice foundational piece there. He went with a veteran there in the third and took Zach Miller. Um, I think that's maybe a little bit of a short-term play because I don't know how he's going to flourish there in Chicago for years to come. But he certainly was a very valuable weapon this year. So, um, in the fourth round, you got Alex Collins, which that's a that's a huge value as far as I'm concerned. I I can't believe DF himself till like uh, I think the sixth round in DFW thirty-six. I mean, you're looking at a situation if Rawls doesn't, you know, doesn't come back healthy and pro size isn't able to hold up in line. I mean, you could, you could potentially have Alex Collins who, you know, yeah, he's in a bad situation, but the kid still has talent. I mean, he's a, and he's a guy that can really be a bruiser inside. So I like that play a lot. Uh, Chris Thompson pick kind of confused me a little bit because I think he probably could have waited on him. I think, I think he could, Maybe not even be a Washington Redskin this year, so we'll see. We'll see what that brings and how how rich their rookie camp is for them. But um, uh, Tim Hightower, not a bad not a bad filler piece, especially in a best ball format to kind of solidify solidify your offense, even if he's going out and gone in a couple of years, you know. Oh, well, you have an open roster spot. You know, that's one thing when you're even doing a startup. You don't want to grab all these rookies at the end of the draft because you still have to cut people every year. So why not draft some of these older veterans that are going to help you this year and next and then, you know, let let things let things just be decided and maybe you can flip them when they're hot for, uh, you know, a higher pick, a nice high pick. So we'll see. Uh, Nate, Nate Washington in the seventh round. I honestly was going to do that if you didn't. So why why not? I think he's another player that could have a very solid, you know, one or two years there in, in new England. Um, And then Chris Moore, the seventh round, I think that's pretty good value there too. I don't know how that Washington, excuse me, how that Baltimore scheme is going to shake out, but I, 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 I like what he could potentially bring to that table and he is, he's fast and that's, that's something that they could that they could make use of, I think, in the slot there for Baltimore. Um overall grade, I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a B. I, I like it. I don't love it. Obviously I love the Dachshund and Alex Collins picks. So I think those you know, those two could make this draft, you know, be all worth it for you. That could that could it might not even matter who you picked with the rest of your picks. So I love those two picks there, especially Especially great value, you know. Daxon 1.04 is good value. That means people are people are are going. I think uh, sexy with Pullman. there over over Daxon, and that's that's a debate we could have for years and years. But I, I like that. I like that that value there at 1.04 because uh, we've seen Daxon go earlier than that. So that's a good that's a good pick. And the value got out of Alex Collins. I think is tremendous even, even considering there's veterans in this in this draft. So I, I think it's a pretty solid draft. And you you got the rest of the guys you got are certainly guys that you can contribute and not to. not they're not gonna be uh you know waste waste of roster space like uh Marquis Lee on my team so <laughs> um uh and I still am charging the Kamar Aiken uh torch. But anyway, but uh well, uh, we'll see. Would well, be interesting to see how this league develops. We injected four new owners into into this league, all guys from DFW this year. So I'm I'm pretty excited, and there was certainly a lot, a uh, lot more excitement and a lot more things going on during the draft this year. So it'll be fun that we're kind of moving this league into where we're actually going to have roster moves during the season now too. So it's kind of our kind of our baby, but kind of fun to kind of, kind of fun to take uh, steps as we send it off to grade school or kindergarten, if you will, uh, with some talented players and talented owners, I should say, involved. So um, that is all we have for you today. Like I said, next week, probably a Tuesday podcast. I will will keep you folks updated on that. But uh, any closing thoughts there, Nick? Uh,
2: Well, I just will defend the the Zach Miller pick. It was a little bit of a reach in round three, but my two tight ends, uh, they're both – Austin Seferian Jenkins and Ladarius Green, both of them have very very high ceilings this year, but the floor is rock bottom. So I wanted to at least have somebody I could count on to get me say 150 points this year, which I think. Mitt Miller, is, as long as he stays healthy, playing in Chicago's offense, uh, Jay Cutler has a history of throwing to his tight end some. So I think that's fairly you know
1: safe floor there, which is what I was looking for at the tight end position. Yeah, and maybe it will give Ladarius Corrine something to shoot for. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that is all we have for you. This has been the Dynasty Pulse podcast. Uh, again, amazing, amazing to have Brian Hawks back on the show, too. Good stuff from him, as always. So we thank Brian for joining us. Um, next week, we might have a surprise guest. I, I I've been working on this for a few weeks and we'll see. We'll see what happens. See see what 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 comes to light. Um, but uh he may or may not be on next week. So <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Um that is all we have for you. This has been the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I am Joshua Johnson. He is Nick Wagner. Kinda closing the chapter here on our rookie post draft coverage uh landings with landing spots in place. So we've so gone through all the position now, so we'll have some fun stuff planned for you next podcast. Thank you very much. And have a good week, Nick. Yeah, you too, Josh. Thanks for listening to the
0: Dynasty World Podcast. Thank you, Gail Taylor, you like and Joshua Johnson. Diana, people... What's your key in this formation?
1: Uh, I, I couldn't tell that I could go with slow unless they're playing flat. Alright, now listen. They can't run against the 6-2 stack, okay?
0: We're gonna force them to pass. Alright!
3: Yeah, yeah.